This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. Well, guess what, Torah fans? Saudi Arabia is now open for tourists to come and see the real Mount Sinai, the split rock, and walk the route of the Israelites. Yes, and tourists are even discovering ancient artifacts on the tour because they're just laying out there in the desert. Ryan Morrow and Logan Keysweater show you how to take advantage of this rare and exciting new frontier in biblical tourism. Because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Well, Shabbat Shalom, Torah fans. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. So, here's the dilemma. You want to see Israel. You want to tour it. But there's no one who can give you a tour like Michael Rood, right? And Michael's not doing tours right now. So, what if there was another tour opportunity that was so new that tourists themselves are discovering artifacts that prove the exodus, like right on the tour? So, tonight, you're going to learn how you can take a guided tour of the real Mount Sinai with Ryan Morrow and be one of the first in the world to do it. And while you consider that, consider that it's the fourth Shabbat of the fourth biblical month on the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar. There it is on the screen. And let's talk more about tours with David Robinson and the one and only Michael Rood. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Scott. So, Michael, when you did tours, and we hope you'll do another one, uh, the tours would go to places that, you know, you book a tour of Israel with anyone else, they're going to take you to yeah. some weird places. Yeah, but. the Church of the Holy Peter. Where yep. Jesus had us for first fall. Oh, wow. What a catch. <laughs> oh, my That's gosh. beautiful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a tourist trap. <laughs> and so there are, you can go to the real places, though. And the Mount Sinai is one, one of the real places you can go there and, and touch history. That's absolutely right. And we have a piece, speaking of which, if you ever come to the studios here, we have a piece of the real Mount Sinai here. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I've shown people, I don't know if you've ever tried this, Michael, when you take that rock that uh, was given to us by someone who had actually been there from the top of Mount Sinai, it's burnt on the top, right? And you turn it over and it's not burnt, obviously. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a telltale sign right there. But if you rub that, that burnt part on the top and then you smell the, the rock, you can smell the smoke. You can smell the smoke. Wow. Oh, that's the smoke of God. It, it, it is. is. It's absolutely amazing. It gives you chills to hold that hand, that that uh, rock in your hand. I remember the first time I held it, I was just like, wow. Me too. I did the I, same thing. I just got chills all over my body when I first held it. So imagine that. So that's just a little artifact in our office. Imagine going to the actual spot. And now can you actually bring, like if you're on a tour and you find something sitting over there and grab it, can you bring it home? I, what was the rule in Israel? Well, well, you can, but you have to do a stealth on it. <laughs> <laughs> pay off a few authorities, see, and then you'll be good. See, yeah. It's okay to smuggle biblical artifacts, right? Yeah. It's okay. No, but and that was just, you know, it's, it's kind of funny, but you talk about how, you know, places you aren't supposed to go on a tour. Right. I know, Michael, you took people to places you weren't really supposed to go either, and, and oh, you'd have yeah. some friends oh, that let yeah. you in, right? Yeah, we went to a lot of places. You're not supposed to go. <laughs> that, that's, that's how you know you're getting some real stuff. Absolutely. And you know what? Speaking of the real stuff. So yeah, Ryan takes you to the real Mount Sinai. That's just the beginning. It's not like Sinai and that's it. He'll take you to Elam, the Red Sea crossing site. Like everywhere. The split rock. Everywhere. Oh, yeah. It's and so amazing. We've been, on, we've been you know, on this journey with a lot of different scholars that go in, in to Sinai. Is it safer now to go there? I yes, mean, it, it is, because it is, the Saudi right? government has, has opened things up to tourists. Okay. And they are actually, uh, the, the ironically, here's the irony of it all. Those folks over there who, who are very, um, uh, the, the Muslims who are very serious about their faith and, and keeping true to their faith, mm -hmm. they consider that area very sacred. And they've guarded it. They, they've made sure that no one has touched it. So ironically, 
uh, the folks who don't believe in Yehovah have protected the artifacts that prove the Exodus, which is just, you know, the way God does things. It's so ironic. He does, yeah. And so, and and because of that, Ryan says that when people go over there, um, the locals are very proud of that area. They're very, they're very pleased and proud of themselves that they have kept this pristine and they want to keep it pristine. Um, and r- the urgency is that Ryan says that the city of Neom uh, that is being built around there, yeah. uh, it is going up and there are, you can see cranes in the distance and all this type of thing. So he says, if you want to see Mount Sinai in its pristine condition, you better go now because there's a city, a mega city being built up around it and they are literally building ski slopes. Is this going to be like a, a Dubai? It's a, a Dubai on steroids. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. And And there's going to be, uh, there's there's even going to be uh, ski slopes. They're going to, I said, ski, I asked him, I said, well, ski slopes, what do you mean? In Saudi Arabia? He said, yeah, they're going to have fake snow and you're going to be skiing uh, basically Around Mount Sinai. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. <laughs> so, all the, and they have all kinds of other crazy things going on, but it, it's going on. It's it's not a theory. They are building it. It's happening now. Yeah, this, this is what Jim and Penny Caldwell said mm-hmm. that they are going to be doing this, but we didn't realize it was going to happen as soon as it did. But you can go there right now and 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 be part of the accident experience. Absolutely, yes. And it's there on the bottom of your screen. There it is, MountSinaiTours.com. It's as simple as that. Go there. I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. Uh, folks are surprised in general that you, like you said, David, is, is it safe to go to Mount, mm-hmm. or Saudi Arabia right now? And he says, yes, if you're going with a sanctioned tour, the Saudi government will make sure you're protected. Nothing's going to happen. The locals are proud of the place. He says it's safe as any other tour Good. anywhere else. Good. I so. mean, because of some of the pioneers that we've worked with through the years they've had. Oh, oh speaking of gosh, Jim and Penny Caldwell, as, as Michael just brought up, I mean, they would risk their lives. They, they'd work at the oil place uh, yeah. during the week and... They went there for nine years. Yeah. And now it's available for people, uh, ordinary people to go. Right. But he had to be an oil-filled engineer with Saudi Aramco to get there. Right, and I remember him telling stories of they would take jerry cans, like 20 gallons of fuel and just pack it on the back of this Jeep, go into the desert where there's nothing for hundreds of miles, risk their lives, and just hope they had enough gas to get back. Wow. You know, just to find the real Mount Sinai and to find the Split Rock and all these places. Amazing. Incredible. Yeah. So, David, you, we have a uh, gift in front of us there. I think we're going we to let the, uh, the, the commercial do the talking. Let this the is our love gift that we do every month. But it's centered around revisiting John 3.16, a special teaching that Joe Kovacs gave to us uh, to help support the ministry. When you support the ministry with a gift of $50 or more, Michael says, hey, you know what? I, I want to give something back to you. And courtesy of Joe, this month, this is going to be yours in addition to some other gifts. Uh, but like we said, we'll let the commercial do the talking. David, Michael, thank you for joining us today. Uh, All right, so Saudi Arabia is now open for tourists to come and see the real Mount Sinai, the Split Rock, and walk the route of the Israelites. And tourists are even discovering ancient artifacts on the tour. (laughs) And one of them could be you, because you can go, you can do this. So we'll find out how to do that tonight on Shabbat Night Live, so stay tuned. The Kiddush with Michael is next. John 3.16 is arguably the most famous verse in the Bible, but are we misinterpreting it? Joe Kovacs presents a thought-provoking teaching that re-examines what the verse really means, how we should understand it, and why a proper interpretation of it is vital to understanding Yehovah's view of the world and the sacrifice of His Son. He can't be telling us, don't love the world and the things of the world, and also saying that, well, God loves the world so much. They're just completely contradictory. And the key to understanding this verse is the very simple short word, so. Revisiting John 3.16 with Joe Kovacs will challenge your assumptions about the true message of Yehovah's Word. And it's our gift to you for supporting A Rude Awakening International. Donate a $50 love gift and we'll send you Revisiting John 3.16 with Joe Kovacs on DVD or Blu-ray. Or donate $100 and we'll send you Revisiting John 3.16 plus a beautiful silver-plated pendant necklace featuring the Shema in Hebrew letters. Or donate $300 and we'll send you the teaching, the silver-plated Shema necklace, plus this dazzling Shabbat tablecloth and matching holobread cover inlaid with artwork from the menorah the Kiddush Cup, and the words Shabbat Shalom in Hebrew. 
These gifts are a limited time offer from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. These special gift collections are available only in July and supplies are limited. So make your donation today and receive these exclusive thank you gifts from Michael Rood. Call 888-766-3610. That's 888-766-3610. Or get your gifts online at monthlylovegift.com. The Chronological Gospels Bible is changing lives all over the world, putting everything the Messiah did in exact chronological order and explaining the behind-the-scenes truth of what the Messiah did, when He did it, and why. The timing of it all means everything. And now, the Chronological Gospels can be easier on your eyes. The larger print edition features 40% larger type, and every page appears exactly the same as the original, so you can follow along with others who have the regular size version. The Chronological Gospels larger print edition also has wider margins to write notes, and the premium quality paper means you can highlight without soaking through. Plus, the larger print edition lies flat, so you can teach without having to hold the book open. The Chronological Gospels larger print edition is a big and beautiful coffee table book, measuring a full 12 inches tall and 9 inches wide. Study the Bible with clarity and ease. I love the size of this book. This is nine by 12. The paper is, is perfect because it doesn't bleed through when I write on it. I can mark it up and I always make notes in all my Bibles. Everything is the same place as it is on the smaller version and I can just stand back and I can teach from it and it's just, it's the perfect size. I pray thee, of whom speaks this prophet? Order the Chronological Gospels larger print edition by phone or online. You'll get 40% larger type than the original. Call 800-788-7887. That's 800-788-7887. Or get the Chronological Gospels Bible larger print edition online at arudeawakening.tv slash large. On Friday, the sixth day of the week, the markets in Jerusalem are filled with challah that is done differently than it is any other day of the week. On that day, the challah is covered with honey and it is covered with raisins because it is a shadow picture of when the Messiah reigns upon the earth in the Sabbath day or the Sabbath millennium when life on earth will be sweet. Yeshua, the last night, that he had with his disciples before his crucifixion, he took bread and he blessed the Most High. And he said, Baruch atah Yehovah Eloheinu melech ha'olam, homotzi lechem min ha'aretz. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And he said, this represents my body, which will be broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so the sanctification of the Sabbath, the Kiddush that we do, sets apart this day and sets apart this very thing that we had rehearsed from the time that Yeshua gave this to his disciples. And then Yeshua blessed the Most High with this blessing that Melech Zadik said to Abraham when he blessed the Most High. Baruch atah Yehovah Eloheinu Malach HaOlam Berei Pri Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, the King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And Yeshua said, this represents the renewed covenant paid for in my blood. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. With that, we do exhibit the Lord's death and what he paid for our redemption until he comes. If you've ever heard about Mount Sinai, you know that there's this amazing amphitheater effect in that area. And we would not have known about that had we not spoken with our guest who is back to tell us more about that area and someone else he's brought along too. Please welcome Ryan Morrow and Logan Keysweater. 
Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you much. for being yeah. here. Yes. So I, I understand uh, we wanted to have you back because I understand there's a whole bunch of new information uh, we have never shared here before about Mount Sinai. Uh, we're going to talk about all kinds of things on this series, and that's why we have you both up here. And so uh, it's really exciting to know that uh, the, the new things you're doing with Mount Sinai, and there's uh, there's even reaction from Iran about yeah. some of these things, <laughs> yeah. of yeah. all things. Mm -hmm. So uh, go ahead, tell us uh, what's been happening lately with you guys and uh, what you've been doing as far as uh, Mount Sinai goes. Sure. It, it's been a crazy couple of years. Um, as some people might remember, I debuted Finding the Mountain of Moses, which you can watch on YouTube uh, right here on this program. Uh, so we debuted it and really didn't know what the result would be. And uh, now I'm very blessed, honored to say that we've had over 8 million views Wow. Now. Uh, and by the way, that came with about 20 bucks of advertising. <laughs> uh, so it wasn't like we just funneled in tens of thousands of dollars. 8 million organic. Um, that's also because we went on the Glenn Beck uh, show, the radio show, uh, to announce that it was now on YouTube once it became available. So we debuted it here, but then announced it was on YouTube on Glenn Beck's show. Uh, it's now airing on Newsmax uh, TV quite oh, awesome. a bit. Uh, been covered by TBN, CBN, uh, some hostile foreign media outlets that we'll talk about. <laughs> uh, and altogether, because of the donations that we received, we've been able to translate it into over 42 languages. Oh, wonderful. And so that's why we've been able to get such a high number of hits, uh, is because we have the English version, the Spanish version, but also Arabic and Farsi. Uh, and so we're actually seeing a regional impact now in the Middle East as a result of this. And many, many Saudis have learned about the sites in their own country from this film. Wow, amazing. So now tell me, now first of all, was was Logan with you when we first had you on the show? No, this is no. his first yeah. time. Okay, so Logan, how did you, I mean, you, before we turned the cameras on, you told me about your story. Yeah. But uh, tell us your story, right from right from the uh, the rock band days and everything. How <laughs> the heck did you, how did you manage to get up on the stage here today? Yeah, so to make a very long and crazy story short, I uh, grew up Christian and then high school, college, kind of started falling away from the faith. Um, and then after the college years, I played in a punk rock rock band for three years. There's lots of tattoos beneath this suit that you can't see. Uh, so played in a punk rock band for about three years and was living kind of a crazy worldly lifestyle and kind of hit rock bottom and felt called to come back to faith because I had that foundation. But I didn't just want to come back to faith. I wanted to not just believe in God, but I wanted to know that he was real. Because when you grow up in high school, you're told all sorts of things in school. So I wanted to be able to refute that and have a solid firm belief um, and, a, and a knowledge of God's existence. So that set me on, and all, all glory to God for that because I truly believe he led me on a journey, but that started all sorts of research into science and archaeology and history confirming uh, the Bible. But I feel like when, you, when you're you know, kind of uh, seeking truth, I think God opens doors to other things too. And that led me to uh, the Messianic community and the Torah observant community, which led me to a rude awakening. Uh, ah. And so it's actually because of a rude awakening that I'm sitting here with Ryan today because your guys' ministry is who introduced me to him. I saw his, fume, uh, his film debut back in 2018 in your Hanukkah special. I reached out to him, asked if he needed any help with anything. Uh, one thing led to another, and then he brought me on the team. Oh, wonderful. Okay, now yeah. you guys are doing some amazing stuff because as you mentioned, now this has had over 8 million views online. Yeah. 42 languages. 42 languages, And yeah. uh, one of the places, obviously, if you're going to be doing translating into Arabic is Iran. <laughs> has heard about this. I mean, if you're yeah. going to translate it, there, there people are going to react. And so you were telling me as we were uh, talking before the cameras came on, something that, that Iran had a reaction about this. Yeah, all the bad guys did have a reaction to it, which is kind of what you want. Uh, so basically, uh, when we debuted it on or announced that it was on YouTube on Glenn Beck's show, he said it was a game changer for mankind, which was awesome to hear, but he meant it as a positive thing. Uh, the Iranian regime, the Muslim Brotherhood, the Houthi terrorists in Yemen uh, agreed uh, that's game-changing, but they felt it was a negative thing because it's pro-peace. They feel that the Mount Sinai theory of it being in Saudi Arabia is very good for peace. They don't like peace. They mm. like war. Uh, and so they felt and actually put some propaganda out there saying that we are part of a Zionist plot with the Saudis because apparently the Zionist Jews and the Saudis are in cahoots now uh, and also in cahoots with the Antichrist and satanic beings. Uh, and so what they're saying is that this is part of a satanic Jewish Saudi American plot in order to enable Israel to try to conquer Saudi Arabia. 
Now, that all sounds crazy to us, but for the radical jihadists uh, in Iran and the Muslim Brotherhood also condemn the film, uh, that's their reality. They're constantly looking at their own end times prophecies and saying, how do we apply it to today? And so mm -hmm. when there's a big revelation or a big event in their mind, such as, oh, wow, Mount Sinai is actually in Saudi Arabia, they're going to interpret it not just through a political lens, but through a, an apocalyptic end times prophecy lens. Mm. Uh, and so some of them said that it's all just false, that they disagreed with us, obviously didn't provide any evidence because these aren't intellectual thinkers, uh, but they said, all right, this is just made up, um, and apparently I'm Jewish, apparently I'm Israeli, uh, and <laughs> I came together with the Israelis to make this up. But then others actually said it's true. Mm -hmm. which I found to be really interesting, that the evidence is so persuasive that those who most want to debunk it gave up on that front. They said, no, 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 it's true, but it's part of the Antichrist plot. And they still don't like yeah, it. Because the Antichrist yeah. is a thing in, in Islamic end times prophecy. So okay. they, in their depiction and their understanding, that's what we are. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> we're a part yeah. of it. Yeah. Oh, I see. But it was amazing, too, because in Finding the Mount of Moses, you interviewed that former jihadist who said that they all knew that this was the real, that Jebel el yeah. Jebel Makla, was the real Mount Sinai. And here you have another, like, actual radical regime, one of them confirming that belief. So it was really powerful. Mm. It was really exciting. Yeah. Well, even in that same area, I mean, we're not talking about a bunch of Jewish folks living in that area. It's the it's the, uh, the the Bedouin living there, or correct me, yeah. whoever they are. Mm -hmm. uh, they speak Arabic. Are they're Muslim? I guess for the most part. Yeah, they Entirely. call it the Mountain of Moses. That's just yeah. right oh, yeah. next door to them, right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Even okay. in our recent trip there, which we'll, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, in our recent trip there, even they were calling it Jibal Musa and the Split Rock, which we can talk about. They called it Sakra Musa, which in Arabic is the Rock of Moses. Ah, so some okay. really exciting stuff. Yeah. Now, speaking of trips, so now uh, you were telling me also that now some restrictions have been lifted somewhat for people to actually go there. And uh, you had mentioned that Joel Richardson, yeah. when he was here, mentioned that you guys were doing the first trip ever of Christians to the real Mount Sinai. Yeah. And apparently uh, that went well and you're doing it again? Yeah, they allowed us to do this. I mean, this is another uh, impact as a result of me working with you guys on releasing that film. Uh, I mean, the number of impacts is just, you can't count how many. And I really think that it contributed towards this change in heart on the part of the Saudis because it's a major tourism opportunity. <laughs> yeah. And it's also an opportunity for good PR. And the Saudis don't exactly get a lot of good PR. Right. Uh, so for them, they have an interest now in having a limited number of Christians who they trust coming to these sites, even if they're not willing to acknowledge themselves that, yes, this is Mount Sinai. The Saudis won't say that, but they are now allowing tours where I can bring people like your viewers uh, to Mount Sinai and to all the sites that we've talked about, Split Rock, Elam, the Red Sea Crossing, wow. um, all of these locations, and they go and see it, and they can see it safely for the most part. It's still Saudi Arabia. There's some people who aren't going to like you, but... We haven't had any violent incidents or anything like that. Hmm. Uh, so it's actually safe to go. Sometimes the police will be there uh, ensuring that everything goes well. Uh, and that's enabled us to do additional footage. Um, and so Joel Richardson, he put really was the guy that put together the first officially Christian tour in Saudi history. Christians had been there before, but there wasn't an officially branded Christian tour in Saudi history up until Joel put that together and then was nice enough to invite me on as a co-leader. Uh, so thanks, Joel, for that. Uh, and so we've just been doing a lot of work together um, and getting more footage. And one of the exciting things we were able to do with our footage was create the first ever depiction of the Ten Commandments being received at the real Mount Sinai in Saudi Arabia. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. So, uh, I understand we have that, and we, do. And we can play that. Yeah. So, can we, can we, how long is it about? About four minutes. Four minutes. So, okay, can we play that now? Yeah, please, please do. All right, cool. All right, take a look. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou Alone, Moses climbed the steep and jagged rocks of Mount Sinai, placing his feet in steps made without hands. And far up on those solitary heights, he drew near to the cloud that marked the place. 
place of God's presence. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me, and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. We're going to have to... We got Moses at the real Mount Sinai. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, this is better than the Ten Commandments uh, back, back in the day. So this, <laughs> right. this is great. Okay, so uh, you guys went over there, and now I understand it's even easier to go over there. Is that right? Yes, it's true. So when we went, th this was actually our first trip back to the mountain. March of 2022 was our first trip back to the mountain because COVID restrictions ended up shutting tours down for a time. Okay. But we got back there, and one of the coolest things of all is all the COVID restrictions have now been lifted. Oh, wow. So you you, you no longer have to have the vaccine. You don't. We didn't even have to wear masks on the plane or anything like that. So no vaccine. You don't have to have a vaccination status, and all the other restrictions have been lifted. So anyone and everyone that wants to go to Mount Sinai can go there and see these sites for themselves. In wow. Person. So what do you need? Like if, if you just have an American passport, is, is that enough, or what, what do you need to go over there? Yeah, just your passport. passport you need to get the uh, e visa, which is really easy to get, mm -hmm. and we can handle that for you. Um, and then you just basically bring yourself. Uh, oh, okay. And uh, have a good time and be ready to see the Bible like you've never seen it before. Uh, you'll be able to read the book of Exodus and actually envision these ha things happening. Oh, wow. mm -hmm. um, and so I, I know, Logan, one of the things that you mentioned to me was how everything's bigger in person. Like on video, you think that you have a good understanding of these sites, but when you actually are there, it's much more dramatic, the events. It doesn't do, do it justice, right? Oh, big time, big time. So this was my first trip to the mountain. It was my first trip outside of the United States. So, <laughs> so hopping on a plane and going over to Saudi Arabia, um, it was amazing. It was definitely, it was a miracle. Everything really lined up to be, for, for me to be able to go this time too. Yeah, so that's another story, but it was, it was amazing. Um, but going over there and seeing these sites in person, it is so much bigger than you think. Like I remember totally geeking out and losing it when we pulled up to the split rock, because you could see it in the distance. You know, we're in the car, and I'm like, oh my goodness, there it is. And like, I got my camera, and I'm shooting video from in the car. But when you pull up to it, like everybody talks about how it's on this big hill, and then the rock itself is huge. But uh, walking up to it and just seeing it in person, like, 
I don't even know, we're, I can't, I don't have the words to do it justice. <laughs> like, it was amazing. And we climbed the split rock too. We got photos and videos of that that, that we can share with people. Um, climbed all the way up the hill, got to the split, stood in the split. And while I was up there, I actually shot a little video for the Caldwells and ended up sending it oh, to them. Because wow. um, we were actually close to the anniversary of when they discovered the rock, um, when we were out there. And then climbed through the split and down the back side of it. And there's actually an Arabic inscription up there that was carved on a rock that I got all excited about because I didn't know what it was at first. Took a picture, the guide said, oh, that's Arabic. Um, but climbing up there and seeing that in person was amazing. And then the golden calf altar too, the petroglyphs on there of the bulls and the cows are huge. Like I knew they were big, right? But like I didn't realize they were that big. And when we finally got to that site and went inside the fence and just we were like ants climbing all over it, taking pictures of all the petroglyphs that we could find and the mountain itself. I, it was amazing walking up over the hill and like going down into the riverbed and then back mm. up to the area where the altar is, the altar of Moses and the pillars. What was really also important that you get, got there um, because I know one of the things that you pointed out was how much construction is going on now that's true. as part of the really? Saudi Neom super city that they're oh, building. Oh, that's right, yes. And so it's important that if you want to go that you go soon because we're worried about how the scenery might be affected. You want to feel like you're transporting back in time to the time of Moses when you go there mm -hmm. as opposed to seeing hotels and ski lifts and things like that so uh and they're trying to build that as quickly as they can unfortunately mm, so yeah, they, uh, make sure people go and just make the plug it's uh mount sinai um you can go there to sign up for a tour or get notified when we have one uh become available and hopefully some uh rude fans will come wow. and hang out with us and, and go not there. even a vaccine needed or nothing like that nothing like that wow. at all yeah that's yeah. great so now you mentioned going inside the fence that was another i mean you get over there and you Usually, you know, Caldwells have told us, okay, there's you can't go here, you can't go there, sneak a camera through the fence, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. pieces or something like that. But uh, so you can just go right in there now? You can, yeah. Yep. With a licensed Saudi tour guide. For sure, yes. yeah. yeah. Now that's the key, right? So now, yeah. now the tours can go over, you don't have to sneak around and take pictures from afar, you can go right, right. up to it. Yeah, yeah, as long as you follow the, the legal pathways that uh, yeah. they've made available uh, to us and some others, uh, you can absolutely go there and go there safely. And odds are, Saudis will come up to you and want to talk to you about because they're very proud of this tradition. They are. Mm. That, was, that was remarkable. And just a, a quick funny story about the Golden Calf site. When we walked in, we just walked right into the fence, and then we walked over this one little section, and Ryan pointed out this area. He's like, that's where I climbed through last time. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, that's awesome. But this, yeah, the local Saudis there, some of the stories that they tell, like it's it's their history and they are very proud of it. Yeah. Um, like it's, it, we all hear it, you know, Jules talked about it, but it's like handed down to them, you know, from their, from their family, like through generations. And uh, I, one of my favorite stories, oh, I got a couple favorite stories, but one of my favorite stories was the first day we were there, the first day we went to the mountain. Hold that. Hold that thought. Let's tell that story right after the break, okay? All right, so we're going to keep you in suspense. Logan has a story to tell about the real Mount Sinai, and you're going to hear it in a second. Uh, thanks to you. Thank you for bringing him here. Thank you for bringing Ryan here. It's because of your donations we can even have these shows. That's how A Rude Awakening, that's how Shabbat Night Live works, is through your donations. This is how it happens. So if you are excited to hear about this information and want others to hear about it, please donate so we can pass this along to others because other people donated so you could see this today. So we'll give you a couple minutes to do that. We'll be right back, and thank you in advance. Thank you for your support of Shabbat Night Live. You know, this is really great information. Since Michael has been recovering from a stroke, you know, obviously there has not been a tour of Israel for a few years now, and then COVID hit, of course, and so that slowed things down. And so with Israel having so many restrictions and with guys Saudi Arabia not... <laughs> You know, maybe this is the time to, for people who, I know there's been a lot of people who have been asking about, well, when's Michael going to do another tour? The honest answer to that is we don't know. Uh, but maybe we do tours of Mount Sinai instead. I mean, this I is cool. It. With, with mm -hmm. Saudi opening up like this, not requiring anything as far as, you know, COVID restrictions go, and being so welcoming and it being such a new thing for the people there who are genuinely excited to see us. Yeah. I mean, why not? I mean, this yeah. sounds really cool. Now, Logan, before the break, you were going to tell a story uh, about what one of the locals told you. So uh, go ahead, tell yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so absolutely. So we were, it was the first day that we arrived at the mountain. And so we were walking, we were walking up to the mountain, parked the vehicles. And what we were going to do is, you know, there's the, the riverbed that descended from Mount Sinai that's now dried out. So what we were going to do is we we're going to walk down into it, 
come up the other side onto the hill and then walk up to like kind of the main, what would be like the sanctuary area, as some have referred to it, where the altar of Moses and the pillars are. And so we get through the riverbed, we get up on the hill and I'm walking up there and I know what's up there. And this local guide's walking with me. Now, he doesn't know that I know any of this stuff. He doesn't know that I've researched it, or he, he might not even know that I work for Ryan. He just knows that I'm there, probably a tour attendee, right? And so we're walking up to the altar. And this was really, really cool. He kind of turns to me and he says, this is where they made sacrifices to the God. And he said, bulls and sheep, you know, kind of motioning about the, the lines there, the, uh, the L shape. And then he paused for a second. And he kind of looked over me a little bit more and he said, the Jewish people. And that was amazing because you hear all these stories, you know, like people like Dr. Kim and other people Mm -hmm. who had gone there and the Saudis had said, oh, the Yehud, the the Jewish people had done this or put this here. Uh, But to walk up to that site and to be walking with a local there and to have him tell me that explaining what the site is was a really profound moment for me. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. And later when I got back from the trip, I, I did get on a phone call with Jim and Penny Caldwell just to update them about the trip and tell them how it was. And when I told them that this Saudi had told me what that site was and what it was used for, they freaked out because even though the Saudis had said, oh, the Yehud did this and the Yehud did that to people like Dr. Kim, they never thought a Saudi would say something about the altar site like that. And Uh. so they said that that was they were they were thrilled to death by that. And so it was really exciting. Um, And there are many other stories, too, with the locals. But it's just it was so amazing to go there because there's there's things that a lot of people haven't seen before. Like we went to these different sites that had these stone structures and there, there were new discoveries made on the tour so by new, Ryan and by tour so attendees. So new discoveries. We're talking yeah. about stuff that the Caldwells never saw, Dr. Kim never saw, even like people like Joel Richardson have never seen. I mean, even Joel told us about things that he found, he found yeah. that people have never seen. So tell us, what, what new stuff did you find that no, no Westerner has really talked about? Well, there are the big man-made structures that we don't really know the purpose of. They look like, mm-hmm. um, it looks like evidence of an encampment over by Split Rock, mm. uh, which is the same Imagine area. Imagine that. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and you know what? When you look at where the land is smooth from the water coming down from Split Rock, it's actually, the encampment is like over to the side of it. So even that lines uh. up, because if you had the encampment in the way of the water, the story doesn't work. But you have the encampment just like one valley over, mm. um, and it's really sophisticated, like to the point where... Where I had seen it, I think, twice before, and I was just focused on the circular structures in front of me, but then when I was there on the last tour, I took more time to look at it, and I didn't realize that it goes all the way out into the plane. Into the plane out there. And it all follows the same pattern. I mean, there was a sophisticated, large population there, mm-hmm. and as far as we know, there's been no accounting for what that population is except for the Bible. We also spoke to a local Saudi uh, woman who said, I forget what she said, um, the split rock area was called the, the labyrinth. labyrinth. The labyrinth. labyrinth. And I said, well, why do they call it that? Because there's so many uh, geysers where huh. water shooting up through the ground, oh, really? which matches the split rock. So yeah. why is it so dry there today? I mean, what, what, what is just the, all the geysers dried up or something? Or? Well, what she was saying is, so one person, I think it was originally Dr. Glenn Fritz at one point, posited a theory that you're in this dry area, right, where the split rock is, and it's, it's a super arid area, but beneath the ground are reservoirs of water. And so he had this idea that Moses goes up and strikes the rock, God creates an earthquake, which creates a fracture, like a fault that goes down to the geyser, or goes down to the aquifer, and then it launches out. The water sure. launches out because okay. it's under pressure. Yeah. That was one of artesian his ideas. Well. Yeah. You, you can actually okay. go on YouTube and look up an artesian well, and you'll actually see that this happens sometimes uh, in nature, obviously not in the way that it happened the Bible describes it. It's not like they all had Moses there and saying, watch this, and then struck it with his rock, but these things, are, these artesian wells, you can see the power mm-hmm. with which the water can burst forth, uh, and it really helps bur- you envision what went on at the split rock. By the way, one of the criticisms of the split rock is that people will say it's a hoodoo, which means uh, a natural formation of rock that just looks kind of odd because of the wind over a long period of time right. shaped it, and that's a criticism that you'll get, and we were looking into that, and we found on one of the signs 
scientific websites, they said, well, hoodoo can also be formed by running water. So if the critics say, oh, yeah, that's a hoodoo, okay, yeah, you're right. That's kind of the point. Yeah. <laughs> but see, that, this is the thing where you were mentioning the, uh, the grandeur of all these things and mm-hmm. how big they actually are. Um, you know, like a hoodoo, if you go to, I, I lived in a place in Canada called, uh, it was very near to this place called Drumheller. <laughs> this is where they find a lot of the dinosaur bones. Uh, all this type of thing. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the movies, um, the latest Ghostbusters movie, the, the sort of uh, the, the re- revamp the of the Ghostbusters, that was filmed there. Okay. So when you see those valleys and all those strange formations, that's where it is. And uh, again, they find dinosaur bones there because it just, uh, you know, the water has eroded and the, the bones are just kind of sitting right there. Mm-hmm. But the hoodoos are there and, and that, that very name. And it's like these towers of rocks that look huge and you get up to them and they're only as tall as you are. They, they look like oh, they're 40 wild. feet yeah. tall, but they're six feet tall. And you stand beside them and people are, you know, it shocks them when you see a picture of that. Mm-hmm. But this, you know, this is on that on another level. This is a huge, I mean, how big is a split rock? It's like, God, it's 50 feet maybe? Yeah, 50, 60 feet. It's wow. yeah, massive. It's, when I was in it, I, I took my camera and pointed it up and shot a, a photo up through the split. And it was just, it was amazing. And we, there were a couple of guys ahead of me. Like a lot of the tourists, we all climbed up the rock. And you're walking there too, not to detract from that. But when you're walking there and you talk about the smoothness of the rock and it looked like water eroded it, like it's amazingly smooth. It's striking hmm. when you're walking up through these now, just channels. Ver- I mean, c- can people tell, that? maybe you guys don't know the answer to this, but can they tell if it's water erosion or could someone argue, no, that's just wind erosion and there was never any water here? Well, I think, I'm sure that's probably what they would argue is that it was through uh, wind, but I mean, you look at it, I mean, it, it looks just like a river came down from that rock huh. and you can see it extends into the uh, valley area mm-hmm. so you can actually like trace where it went and you can see it goes to, uh, there's even like a little oasis where there mm. used to be uh, water and you can see where water would actually fill into that old oasis and form like a, a little lake. Hmm. Uh, so even the topography of the surrounding area uh, is really interesting. And keep in mind, again, the evidence of encampments. So what was going on there in this spot in the middle of nowhere near this giant split rock that would draw a population to say, hey, this is a good spot to camp. The only thing I can think of is water. Right. And not right there, but in the next valley over. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So they're yeah. not in the way. They didn't drown from it. They were they camped right exactly where you would assume hmm. they would. And I'm understanding there's, there's some... Uh, evidence of wells around that area. Is that right? Or is that uh, in a different at, area? That's at Mount Sinai itself. Oh, Mount Sinai, Sinai itself. Yeah, okay, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, okay. Now, this, you mentioned that, so <laughs> there's this population of people that are in the middle of nowhere yeah. uh, that now, of course, is being built up, but for thousands of years, it's just, you know, it's like a museum in, in a dry, yeah, arid that's right. area. But uh, you were saying to me that the Israelites... Their story fills in the blanks where people are saying there's Egyptian influence. Yeah. Can we get into that? So tell me about that. Yeah, so what's really interesting is that uh, when you look at the chronology of the history of the area, you don't get a lot of answers about what would make up a huge nomadic population. So you mentioned the wells at uh, Mount Sinai. Well, what population was there? Uh, you don't really get an answer, but you know it was a massive population. How does a massive population disappear? They obviously were moving around. Uh, but we were looking at some scientific literature the other day, and we came across this article talking about how they think there was ancient Egyptian influence in northwestern uh, Saudi Arabia, and that's why this like upgrade in skills happened. But now they're saying uh, something like, well, we think it was just built organically now because of a change in the dating method. And what we're saying is, is no, that increase in capability that you're seeing, it was Egyptian influence. And if you change the dating, guess what it lines up with? The Exodus. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, specifically the second millennium BC. And the Exodus falls right in the midpoint of the second millennium BC, right? 1446. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's right there. And so, and it's not just that too. I mean, you have these different scientific articles that are talking about like nomadic uh, populations leaving inscriptions or nomadic populations leaving stone structures. Now the dating is heavily debated and they give wide dating ranges. But like Ryan was saying, what if those gaps can be filled by a population that comes into the Arabian Peninsula that most scholars are neglecting and not even considering as a possibility because they want to shove them over here in the Sinai Peninsula. Right. right? Well, it's the same yeah. thing that happened with Tim Mahoney. 
Mm -hmm. right? Everybody says, oh, there was no exodus because when we dig here, we don't find anything. And of course, with Tim's movies, now we see that you're looking in the wrong era. Mm -hmm. You need exactly. to look in the right era and you will find what you always thought was there. And right. on the flight to Saudi Arabia, they actually had a show about uh, archaeology because they're making a big deal out of the fact that there hasn't really been archaeological work done in northwestern Saudi Arabia or Saudi Arabia at all. And so that's like a, a, an important attraction for them to now broadcast. Like, oh, we're allowing archaeology come to our country now. And one of the things they showed were all these really sophisticated uh, man-made structures all throughout the northwest of Saudi Arabia where we think the exodus occurred. And they basically said in the show, we don't know what population did it or even necessarily why. Mm. And there was all speculation about what they were. But the fact that they're conceding that there was some massive population that's nomadic that came into the country and then apparently left is a pretty big concession, a pretty big clue um, as to what's going on there. And I think you are seeing a movement in the Saudi psyche uh, towards accepting the excess theory. And I, I'm referring to more academic circles. Of mm -hmm. course, the locals already accept it. Mm -hmm. And each trip that we take over there, there's usually something new. Uh, and the one big thing that Logan uh, pointed out to me were the signs by the Caves of Jethro. So we're going to show some video now um, so you can get an idea of the area that we're talking about. It's an area called Al-Bad in uh, Saudi Arabia. And local tradition holds that the caves you're looking at are the Caves of Jethro. Hmm. So it's and not all bad. Right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Good dad joke. Bad dog yeah. I yeah. need a drum set. Sorry, continue. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but the critics would say, well, if you look at the carvings on the outside of the caves, they're Nabataean style, which is true. But caves can be used by different populations over time. And so what Joel Richardson and myself and others would argue is that with the tradition being so strong there, I'm sure that the local population, the Midianites, stayed at those caves, but it was still hard to argue with that academic consensus. But this last trip, we went to the caves of Jethro, and there were new signs put up. And what they said was, dating back to around the time of the Exodus, Midianites were staying in those caves, oh, the caves yeah. of Jethro. And, you know, Jethro is a Midianite. Yeah. It so was... it moved in our direction as well. Wow. And the other th thing that's really interesting about that area, right by the caves of Jethro, is an old well that the locals refer to as the Well of Moses. They believe that's where Moses met the daughters of Jethro. Mm -hmm. So oh, that's another okay. site that you sometimes don't hear about as much because it's not as visually stunning as the other sites at Mount Sinai. So you hear about Split Rock, you hear about yeah. Helm, all these amazing things, but there's all these smaller sites as well that enable you to really retrace the path of Moses and people can go there and see it. It's actually a major tourist attraction, the Well of Moses, uh, but us in the outside world just never heard about it until now. And they have a sign there that actually calls it the Well of Moses. There's a sign, yeah. like the Saudi archaeological sign there says Well of Moses. And it was just, it was exciting. It was really cool to walk because I know like you, you got really excited when we saw the signs at the Caves of Jethro because here it is. It's, an, it's a vindication of you and Joel and others who have argued in favor of this that the, now the sign says, yeah, the carvings are Nabataean, but the caves date back to the second millennium BC and they were used mm. by the Madian tribe, which is Midian. the Midianites. Ah. And so it was, it was really exciting to see. And yeah, Ryan, some of these other littler sites that might not be, like you said, as visually stunning, they hold tremendous historical significance. Yeah. Mm. Like what, for, for example? Well, just the fact, like you were talking when we were at the caves of Jethro, or when we were at the Well of Moses, sorry, you, how you could see the caves of Jethro in the distance, far away, and you could see how the communication between like uh, Moses and Zipporah went, and then how it led to him going to the heartland of Midian where the caves were, and you could kind of see that story come to life. Yeah, because that was the only well in the area. Yeah. So of course he would uh, meet the daughters of Jethro there. It just all makes logistical sense. Uh, there's also sometimes new discoveries on the tours themselves, and we actually did just have one. Uh, so Logan studies Proto-Hebrew very intensely. <laughs> among virtually everything else. Like, if Wikipedia became a hu human being, it would name itself Logan Keyswell. <laughs> and, and so that's, that's the reason I work with them. Uh, but when we're over by the Split Rock in a different area than where the previous Proto-Hebrew inscriptions were known to be, you, you were just filming something. It looked like some sort of man-made structure. We don't really know what it was. And I was looking down. I looked next to your foot. And there was a proto-Hebrew inscription there. Oh my goodness! <laughs> it was. I was. We were basically. So these things come to you essentially. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm right, just, right. We were right there, 
And I'm just, yeah, I'm just, there were other stone structures in front of us. So we, what we were standing on kind of looked like, you said, maybe something man-made, but there were several man-made structures in front of us. And so I'm just totally oblivious, right? I'm standing here with my camera on my, on my phone, and I'm just filming these structures. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Ryan's standing next to me. He's like, hey, Logan, is that an inscription? I look down at my foot, and I'm like, dude. And I, like, <laughs> totally freaked out. And you said you were, didn't you say you were not even considering mentioning it first? Yeah, because, because yeah. you see, there's so many rocks that have little scratches on it yeah. just yeah. from seismic activity and there's so many people on the tour that will think every single rock is Is an an amazing archaeological discovery because that's what you want to find and it's really exciting and really honestly you never know which rock would be an amazing archaeological discovery. That's like finding discovery. a dinosaur bone. Oh no, that's just a that's a piece it's of wood. It's a chicken. Yeah, <laughs> right. it's a yeah. chicken bone. Yeah, it's like yeah, somebody's wings from last week. Yeah. yeah. So I saw it and I was like, gonna say something to you, and I was like, nah, I'm sure it's just another one of those <laughs> randomly scratched rocks. And then I did say something to you, and then you were you yelled, "Dude!" and it <laughs> like echoed off of the walls around off the valley around <laughs> Split Rock. Yeah. It, was, it was exciting because we we looked at this rock and it's a three letter inscription, right? And it's in the proto-alphabetic characters, the really ancient script, right? Um, And not to go into a huge history of it, but if you're familiar with Tim's films, you know, the Patterns of Evidence films, the second film is the Moses Controversy, where they talk about these inscriptions that are over in Egypt, right? They call them the proto-Sinaitic inscriptions, and they're known to be Semitic, and all all scholars will accept that. They're known to be Semitic, and they're known as the world's oldest alphabet, right? Um, What the debate now is, is what Semitic people group invented them, and there's powerful evidence that it's the Israelites in Egypt. Well, if the Israelites invented the uh, invented the alphabet in Egypt, and then later it shows up in Canaan, which became Israel around the era of the conquest, doesn't it logically follow that they would bring it with them to Arabia, where mm. they stayed for 40 years? So there's all these inscriptions in there that uh, scholars like Dr. Miles Jones, who you guys have had on your show, sh- uh, have argued and, and provide evidence for uh, showing that they're a direct offshoot of the Proto-Sinaitic in Egypt, these Arabian inscriptions. And so we found this inscription there, three letters and we're looking at it and in the car on the way back to the hotel we're like oh what are these letters so I have these books with me I got Miles's book here and then uh, Dr. Douglas Petrovich's book The World's Oldest Alphabet right and he's one of the scholars that argues in favor of, of Hebrew being the oldest alphabet so I'm looking through his charts which I have saved on my phone and I'm like I think this is this letter and this is that letter and this is that letter and Ryan and I are coming up with these guesses of what these letters could be well later we hop on a Zoom call with Miles and he confirmed our reading of the inscription. He confirmed our letter designations of the inscription, and he said it's definitely Proto-Hebraic, um, which is really exciting. He thinks one of the letters is an ayin, he thinks the other one is a mem, and the other, the last one is a het. And depending on which way you read it, he said you can definitely translate it as a Hebrew word. And so it's kind of pre- preliminary right now, so what, I don't what know. What did he say? Well, he's, he said if you read it one way that he thinks it says levin, which... Hmm. Hebrew word does have some significance uh, with the books of Moses, with the Torah, um, but he said it could be a name, and it's in this area where there's all these stone structures. Are they graves? You know, is it naming you know someone who's buried there, or what exactly is it? But the exciting thing is, it's definitely Proto-Hebraic, hmm. and it's it, you can get an intelligible translation from it using Hebrew as the language, wow. which is really exciting. That's amazing. Now I'm sure there's a lot more we could tell. But we're out of time, apparently, so we need to come back next week and uh, talk more about this kind of stuff. We have all kinds of topics we're going to talk about, but we'll talk more about this uh, next week so you guys can come back. Is that all right? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So, uh, Logan, Ryan, thank you for being here. Thank you you for being here. Thank you for bringing these guys here. And again, if people want to go to tours, you go to Mount Sinai Tours.com. There you have it on the bottom of your screen, MountSinaiTours.com. Listen, if things are not opening up in Israel, why not go over to where the Israelites came from (laughs) through Saudi Arabia, through the real Mount Sinai. You can see it now. There's no restrictions. Uh, Christian tours are welcome. You might as well go with these guys. They know all about it. So there you go. There's the information on the bottom of your screen. Book a tour. Why not? See the place where the Israelites came from through uh, the real Mount Sinai. And uh, now we can actually see it. How exciting is that? So uh, while you book your tour, we'll see you next week on Shabbat Night Live. Until then, Shavuot Tov.